0: Thank you, Miranda. Such a blessing. How many agree that Brother Sid married up? Agree with that? I think a lot of Brother Sid, so that's saying a lot. Um, But uh, he got him a good, good woman. And I see Janet back there, her mother, videoing on an iPhone. Still proud of her. And he ought to be. He did a good job raising Miranda. There's not a a better encourager that my wife and I have on a weekly basis than this Miranda. She she has a way of encouraging people and uh, so very, very thankful for her. I want to thank Brother Mike and the trustees, particularly those guys, for all the work they've done this year in giving us really, really clear uh, accounting and accountability with our finances, giving us a lot of purpose and intention. Um, here's, here's what I know um, that I'm trying to do is, is put the right people around me that are really good at what I'm not good at. And, uh, that is, that is the case with these trustees, um, and with brother Mike and I I pour my heart and soul into pastoring this church. Um, but the administration side and and the business side of a church, this side is, is very, very challenging. And so to do both is just not possible, especially when, when I'm only competent at it and not great at it. And so to have somebody like Brother Mike and like our trustees that come alongside of him is, I'm telling you, it, it is awesome. It's a blessing to me personally, and, and he puts a lot of time into that. It's really helped. I would say uh, that, that one of the main reasons why I've been able to pay so so much down on the loan outside, of course, of your generosity and good giving is our trustees and, and Brother Mike's organization and intentionality and heart and vision for that. If you don't know, we, we kind of separated a little bit of the duties between the deacons and trustees upon the transition of the pastorate. Those, those were getting kind of blurred. And so um, we separated those and the trustees now are, are the ones that, that the church votes in. And uh, they, they meet on a monthly basis and they're the ones that, that vote on the financial decisions of the church Um, And they represent you in the conference room. The deacons are now more of of my chief counselors in the ministry, my spiritual helpers, my accountability partners, my prayer partners every Sunday morning, and guys that I count on uh, for wisdom and their wives as well. And, And so they have taken on more of a responsibility of spiritual care and counsel. And the trustees have taken on the responsibility more of administration. And, and voting on important decisions like that. I do want to say a couple things on the back side of Mike's um, report. Um, let me talk about the banquet for, for just a moment. He wasn't exaggerating. There will be a red carpet. It is a red carpet event. All right, Wes, I, I need you to be wearing a, te- a tux. Not a pearl button shirt. I need a tux on you on that night. November 19th is a Friday night. All right. We are clearing the tables. I mean, the chairs out of here. We are bringing in circle tables. It'll be a formal event. The lights will be dim. The environment will be just right. And you won't have to do a thing, but come. That's it. The staff and whoever we have uh, hire to cater it. And maybe Justin and Janine, maybe Justin and Janine um, are going to be the crew that that helps um, on, on that night. And honestly, here's my heart. I just want to say thank you in a tangible way to you. That's it. And so please let me do that. Don't be all crazy and say, I'm not dressing up. Dress up, please, so I can tell you thank you and come. And even if you're just going to wear blue jeans, wear blue jeans and come anyway. Sit at a table and enjoy the concert. I mean, it's like a Grammy award-winning artist that's coming to, to sing for us on that night. And he's, a, he's amazing, truly amazing. Um, and and we're, we're paying good money to get him here because he's worth it. And you're worth it. And then it's going to be good food. Great food that we have catered in. It's just going to be a good night. I don't know what else we're going to do other than, than sing and burn a note and eat. But it's going to be a good night. You, you, you can walk the red carpet. <laughs> and, and there will be a professional photographer from Collins Media there. <laughs> that, that will not be charging us for photography that night. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> and that's his way of telling me thank you. <laughs> um, one of the, the top projects, two top projects that we're going to go to work on with that $86,000 surplus in our project account um, that, that the trustees really put on the top, and, and I, I have to agree with them, um, especially after I got their perspective um, on this, was our staff housing on on Walnut I really don't want to tell you to drive by there, um, b- because the the siding and and the roof really needs some some serious attention, and we've been putting that off and putting that off and putting that off, and so the trustees like we're, we got to take care of that. So on all the staff housing, we're putting on brand new roof roofs and the, is that is it roofs or roofs roofs? All right, well whatever shingles. Um, we're putting on brand new shingles on everything, and. Uh, and, and going to hopefully get to the siding of, of the homes. And, uh, and then, um, maybe simultaneously, we're going to go to work on our baptistry. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought to yourself, that's a really small opening for such a large platform. I thought that to myself as I was baptizing big guys like Dustin Hieronymus and Nick Zimmerman. Um, when you get tall fellas in there, um, it, it gets kind of scary because it's, it's tight quarters. So when you take them under, sometimes if you're not careful, they can hit their head on this side, of, in all seriousness, on this side of the baptistry. And so then you've got to bring them over here, and a lot of people from this side can't see. And, and that's not okay, number one. Uh, secondly, the plumbing keeps going out. We've got to fix that. Um, and thirdly, we, we baptize a lot of folks um, that, uh, frankly, are just nervous about going completely under from basically standing up to under and, and coming back up because of knee problems or back problems. And that is incredibly understandable, by the way. Um, and so most churches now are going to a tub where the pastor stands behind the tub. He stands outside of the water and, and, it's, and it's not as big, but you walk down into it and you sit. There's, there's a little chair that's built in that you sit in. And so all the pastor has to do is just take you right under like that and up. And you don't have to worry about falling. You don't have to worry about hurting your back or breaking your knees or anything like that. And that is a legitimate worry for some. And it's understandable. And so we're going to go towards that. Hopefully we'll get a little bit more decor there on the back wall. It'll be a bigger opening. It's going to be a wider opening. Um, hopefully we'll have a cross or something like that lit up. And it's going to look real nice. And so um, I think that that is all past due and we'll... We'll get after that and looking forward to it. One more thing before, you, uh, before we get into the message tonight. And I'll be mindful of time, I promise you. Um, I want to encourage you. I, I, I should have had Brother Mike put this graphic on the, on the uh, screen because our software shows a graph of, of when our giving is up and when it's down, when it's up and when it's down. And it, historically, it's a big dip in giving during the months of June and July. And some of that is because our attendance dips, because honestly, that's when people travel. And I get that. So so we don't have maybe as many guest contributions or whatever. Uh, But honestly, I think for the for the majority of it, it's that God's people spend his money on vacation. And Mickey Mouse gets God's money and not his house. And and so so I hope that 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 you will use this summer um, as an opportunity to be a good, faithful steward of your tithes and your offerings and take that very seriously that the ministry goes on and the budget, we, we, we have some things to meet in the budget. And I hope that you will put God first in your finances this summer. Turn to 2 Kings 4. Have I told you that yet? 2 Kings 4. I hope you're ready to study the word. It's just seven verses, but one of my favorite Old Testament stories from the life of Elisha. We are one month away or one month removed rather from one of the best mission conferences I've ever been a part of at fellowship Baptist church and and certainly the highest commitment that we've ever made to missions as a church, $340,000 that we've committed to give to missions worldwide. Before the missions conference, I preached a message out of Philippians chapter four, and I closed the message with one of my favorite promises in God's word in verse 19 that says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I love that promise. You give sacrificially to the Lord, He'll provide your needs, and He has a lot to give. That's a promise. You can count on it. But I got to thinking, church, about that promise. And and, and there's something vague about it. Because we know God promises to supply our need as we put Him first and give sacrificially. But what does that provision look like? More specifically, what is the process of Him providing from heaven to earth For the need that is created when we put him first with our finances. Now I think that's an important question because many of you got on board with giving a missions offering above the tide for the first time in your entire Christian life this year. There's no way we increase $86,000 if there wasn't some people that got on board. And some of you are just now starting to tithe. We went from 62% to 72% or whatever it was. That's that's a great jump. Some of you are starting to give 10% of your paycheck to the Lord right up front. That means between your tithe and your missions, you're no longer living on the financial margin that you used to live on. The good news is that God promises to supply your need. Not every want, but every need. You can count on that. But is that just some vague Christian idea? And we just sit around and kind of wait for God to shower down these dollar bills from heaven and surprise us with his provision. Or does the Bible actually give us an idea of how we receive God's provision in time of need? I believe 2 Kings 4 is an Old Testament description, an indication of how God provides for his kids. And it may be a little different than you expect. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha saying, thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor has come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. Now let me tell you the situation. The the woman's husband was one of the sons of the prophets. Doesn't mean that he was a blood son of Elisha or Elijah or Samuel or anything like that. He was probably studying what they called the school of the prophets. Not really like a Bible college, but but it's where men went that wanted to devote their life to learning beneath the prophets of the day. So this man had given his life to this kind of study. He feared the Lord. He was a godly man, but the, the text says he died and he left behind a wife, Two sons and a lot of debt. So so the widow woman is already having to deal with the loss of her husband. But on top of that, she's got to figure out how how to pay off this debt, none of which is forgivable in that day and in that society. In fact, they had what they called debtor's prison for situations like this. If a woman couldn't pay off her debt, the creditors would come and take her sons as currency. Sometimes they would be sold as slaves for for the rest of their lives. Sometimes they would be held in a prison of sorts until the debt was paid off. This is a very serious situation. She lost her husband. She's about to lose her boys. This qualifies for a time of need. She needs Philippians 4.19 to be true. Now, I don't want to pretend tonight like any of us are facing in our life right now, as dramatic as this woman's need is, that we're facing that kind of need in that way because we live in a different day and time. I mean, let's face it, we we can't really relate to completely losing our kids because we have a high amount of credit card debt. And aren't you thankful for that? But we can relate to being in times of need. Times in which we need the provision of God in our life. And there are generally two reasons why we find ourselves in this position today. It might not be the same exact reasons as the widow woman, but we do find ourselves for, for one of these two general reasons. First, our expenses increase. Told you this morning I'm talking about property taxes. Dave Jordan just took off his glasses. He's ready to go to work. Well, the Holy Spirit just told me I can't say anything more than that but you get what I'm saying. They're just too high around here and they keep going up. And I'm not exaggerating. Mom, in Indianapolis, if you guys heard of our property taxes, you would, you go crazy. It's nuts. And then the water bills. Do you want to talk about the water bills? Is your water bill high? Or is that just me? Do I take a long shower? Or is it going up? Unbelievable. Medical bills, car repairs. Sometimes we have to replace an appliance. Uh, glasses or braces for the kids, or you just choose to have another kid. That's expensive. Or you decide to go back to school. That's expensive. So so expenses increase. Here's another one. Income decreases. Cut and pay, loss of hours. Go through a season of illness, get laid out of work. Maybe you lose a spouse. Now you're relying on one income. Maybe one spouse has a job like a teaching job that doesn't pay during the summer. Uh, maybe income decreases when your source of supplemental income starts running dry. So the secondary, the side hustle isn't doing well. You, you aren't having as many kids for, for your daycare. A small business that you're trying to get going isn't going great. Or life circumstances can make you have to kind of give up time toward that second job so that income decreases. Or you just start giving 10% of your income to God. So now you, that's an immediate decrease So no matter what you make, you know, you're only getting 90% of it. And then you decide this missions conference. You get convicted about giving on top of that to missions. Now you're living on 85% or 80% or whatever it might be of your income. So your income might decrease due to the fact that you're actually putting God first. So whether your expenses increase or your income decreases, we all have faced times of need. Now, how does God fulfill that promise? When we put him first and income decreases or expenses increase, how does he fulfill that promise of supplying our need? Here's how. Listen, he partners with us. You got to get this. We aren't just spectators in God's provision. We are participants in God's provision. Sometimes we think that all we have to do is give and then we sit idly by in faith and watch as God miraculously supplies our need. But I need to tell you what faith is and what it isn't. It isn't just a state of mind. Faith is a state of mind that leads to a course of action. God wants us to be participants, not spectators when it comes to his provision. I'll say it this way. God partners with us to provide for us. And that's what the rest of the story tells us. Three ways God partners with us. Look at verse two. And Elisha said unto her, what shall I do for thee? Tell me, I pray thee, what hast thou in the house? And she said, thine handmaid hath not anything in the house, save a pot of oil. So the first thing that Elisha asked the woman upon her telling him everything that's happened in her life, it doesn't sound very nice at first. She told him her problem and he basically said, what do you want me to do about it? That's what he said. The Bible recorded it. You can tell Elisha was a prophet. He was an evangelist. He wasn't a pastor. He was one of those guys that went into town, ripped faces and then left the collateral damage for the pastor to deal with. But, but he becomes a pastor in the next phrase. He says, what do you have in the house? Now, if, if, if it were me that he was asking, I would have probably not handled that question very well. I just poured out my guts to him. I, I'm thinking in my mind, what part of bankruptcy do you not understand? My husband is dead. I have no money and they're coming to get my kids. Why are you asking what, what do you have? But She was nicer than me. She said, I don't have much other than a pot of oil. Get this. The provision is going to come from the oil. God is going to provide through something she already had. Think about the word provision. Pro. Vision. Think about it. Pro-vision. God wanted this woman to see with her eyes. To envision what she already had. Now, before we take this as an absolute way in which God works, that he uses what we have. This is where he starts. Then we have to ask ourselves if he's worked this way in other portions of Scripture. Because I don't want to take one Old Testament description And declare this as an absolute way of God. And so I began to search scripture. And you'll know some of these instances. Do you remember when he came to Moses and he said, Moses, I want you to set my people free from Pharaoh's hand. You remember that? Give me a head nod. You remember that? And then Moses gave all these kind of excuses. And what did God ask him? What's in your hand? What's in your, Moses, you know where his mind went to? Everything he didn't have. Well, I can't speak. I was a murderer, so I, 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 I don't have a clean record. Everything he didn't have. And God said, I want you to see with your eyes. Pro vision. I want you to see with your eyes what you do have. He said, what's in your hand? And he said, it's a rod. I've been a shepherd for the last four decades. It's a rod. And God said, it's not just a rod. I'm going to use what you have to accomplish my purpose. And he proved it to him right there in that moment. He turned that rod into a snake. And he said, touch a snake. And he touched the snake and it turned back into a rod. Now Moses is on on page with God. And then what was it that God used to part the Red Sea? It's the rod. He uses what we have. I just got done preaching about David and Goliath last Sunday. David said, I'm not using Saul's armor. What did God use? What he already had? A sling. Feeding of the 5,000. What did God use? I'll tell you what the disciples were thinking. Philip, remember pessimistic Philip, got his calculator out. And he said, this is what we don't have. That's all they could see. That was their vision, what we don't have. And so Philip instantly began to think as the logistics guy, I got to go get what I don't have so God can do what he needs to do. And God said, no, that's not how I work. I don't start there. Amen. I start with what you have. And Andrew said, well, always got a little boy's lunch. And God said, that's more than enough. Now, we like to play the if only game in our head. We think this out loud, exactly what Philip thought, exactly what Moses thought. If only I had blank, then I could blank. And it's our natural tendency to think that God works through and with what we don't have. But that's not where he starts. He partners with us in providing for us and that he starts with what we have in our hand. Let me give you a for instance. If your giving has caused your income to decrease because you're living on 10% less than you used to live on before you started tithing, then what do you still have? 90%. You know what else you still have? A home. You know what else you still have? A car. You still have children, maybe? Still have health? Still have a job? Remember, you're going to default to thinking, I've got to make up for that 10% by going and doing and getting something I don't have. But God starts with what you have. That means before God magically puts a check in your mail to cover the difference of your tithe and offering, before he increases your income, guess what he's going to do? He's probably going to decrease your outgo. You have a home. Maybe God is going to cause those appliances in your home to last a little bit longer. You have a car. Maybe God's going to cause that car to run a little bit longer. You have children. Maybe God is going to let their eyesight, sorry, squints, stay the same this year instead of their prescription changing. And and you might not have to buy a new pair of glasses and my sister will starve. (laughs) You still have health. Maybe God's going to keep you healthy so you don't have extra medical bills. You have a job. Maybe God's going to use what you already have, your job, and he's going to increase your income at work via promo- promotion or a pay raise or a good month of sales or a little bit of overtime because God's provision starts with what you already have. See it with your eyes. This is how God works. You are always a part of God's solution. You are always a part. Yeah. The story continues. Elisha's going to tell the woman to do something crazy. Verse 3. Then he said, go borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons and shalt pour out into all those vessels. And thou shalt set aside that which is full. Now watch here. It's important to understand that oil here is not 10 W 30. The oil here is provision for them. It's like, like uh, uh, gold is for us or diamonds is for us today. It could be turned into currency. And, and so Elisha told the widow to go door to door and borrow some empty jars. Don't take this for granted. This would not have been easy for a widow woman to do. Widow woman wasn't even welcome in some, some parts of the neighborhood. Okay, She wasn't accepted in society. She wasn't cared for in society. And so for her to go knock on doors and assume people are going to show mercy would have taken a lot of courage and a lot of faith. And here's the point I want you to get. God doesn't just do use what we have, but he he only does what we can't. Watch here. Imagine this conversation. She goes and knocks on the door. Hello. I'm from next door and I'm here for your empty jars. You got any? Uh, well, why do you need empty jars? I don't know. Preacher just told me I needed some empty jars. Well, how many do you need? I, I don't know. I, I just how many you got? I don't know. What, what do you, I don't know what I need it for. The preacher just told me I need jars. How many? I don't know. Can I just have everything you've got? I'll bring them back when I'm done. Where do you live again? Do you have a husband? No, he died. And then instantly they would look down on her. And she had the faith to do this, not just one door, but door after door after door after door. These awkward conversations. I'm going to be honest with you. This grieves me. At first, I'm thinking, God, what are you putting a widow woman through here? Why are you expecting her to be so vulnerable in these situations? She just buried her husband. She's declaring bankruptcy. She's about to lose her boys. Why not just like drop a big old tub of oil in her backyard for her, God? Why don't you just do this for her? Because that's not how God typically provides for us. Because he doesn't want us to get in the habit of being spectators in his provision. He wants us to be participants. Listen closely. God is not in the business of doing for us what he's equipped us to do for ourselves. Even if it's hard. Let's consider this in our own giving. We decide to tie 10% of our income to God. We commit to give sacrificially to faith promise on top of that. What can we do on our end to participate in God's provision? What can we do? I'll tell you in one word. Stewardship. This is what we do. Money management. If margin decreases because expenses increase, we must make adjustments. That's what we can and should do. Somebody say amen tonight. Amen. This isn't hard to understand. Here's what that doesn't look like. We start tithing and giving to and now we're living on 85% of our income or less. So we get a credit card to maintain the same lifestyle as we had when we were living on 100% of our income. That's not what God had in mind. Doing what we can by way of money management may involve getting a good money manager, a good financial advisor, a mentor in our church. I can suggest many of them trustees and many that aren't trustees that have done well with their money, help you get started on some good stewardship habits. We write out a detailed budget. It's amazing how many marriages struggle because of finances. I ask if they have a budget and they don't have a budget. We make common sense cuts like less eating out, less weekend trips, less extravagant vacations, less toys, less stuff, less monthly subscriptions. This is what we can do. And you might be surprised how much fat you can trim off your spending when you really put a pencil to where your money goes. I'm not trying to speak over anybody's head or down to anybody tonight. This is kind of like right where we live. Ladies and gentlemen, God wants to provide for you, but he wants you to help provide for yourself too. And we can't put him on the hook to fulfill the promise of Philippians 4.19 when we're not doing our part. We can't expect him to do all the heavy lifting and provision when we're being foolish. We can't do it. Here's what I like about how the story ends. and I've got to to hasten. I know we've been here a while. The story is is going to prove. That 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 when you let God use what you have and when you let God when you do what you can let God do what you can't, he always does his part. The widow woman did just those things and then God filled what she offered. Look at verses five through seven. So so she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, there's not a vessel more. And watch, that's when the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil, pay thy debt and live thou and thy children of the rest. Here's the third way God partners with us to provide for us. He fills what we offer. He uses what we have. He does what we can't. And then he fills what we offer. He said, there's not a vessel more. And that's when the oil stayed. Follow this. I believe that if she would have had one more vessel. Or if she would have had 10,000 more vessels, God would have filled every one of them. And the oil wouldn't have stayed or stopped until she was done offering her vessels. I don't think I put this on, on the sermon notes for the screen, but you need to listen closely. Alexander McLaren said this, old time author. God will keep filling us with himself as long as we keep bringing that which God can pour himself. When we stop bringing, God stops pouring. See, the the reason many believers, they give, but they lack provision in some ways is because they don't do what they can. A lot of them just don't, they don't give God anything to fill, give God anything to work. Can I give you a few examples of that and we'll be done. So many believers complain about what they don't have. And I asked them this, when is the last time you prayed for it? Oh, I prayed and it didn't happen, Pastor. How long did you pray and how many times did you? Well, like once or twice, maybe a week. That's not how Jesus taught us to pray. He said, ask, seek, and knock. In the present imperative, meaning you do it over and over and over. If you wanted to say it like we would say it today, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And he told that principle at the very end of a parable where a neighbor went in the middle of the night to his friend's house, knocked on the door and said, I need some bread. And he wouldn't quit knocking on the door. They had one bedroom houses. You don't go in the middle of the night. You wake up the whole household. But he had importunity, shameless persistence. And he kept asking and seeking and knocking. And that's when the neighbor opened up the door and said, dude, you can have your bread, go home. And God said, you keep asking and seeking and knocking. Could it be the reason why God hasn't answered your prayer is simply because you stopped praying? He's not going to answer a prayer you don't pray. Because I think a lot of believers honestly lack God's provision because they don't have a faithful prayer life. Another example how we can bring God little to nothing is in our giving. Maybe a reason why God's provision feels a little lean in your life is because if you're honest, your giving to him is a little lean. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9 that if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. These aren't my words. They're Apostle Paul's words. If you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. That means it's true that God only feels what you offer him. Then you, you can't expect 10 jars full of provision when you're only giving them one jar of generosity to fill. Hello? If you're stingy, don't expect God to be generous. I thought I'd get some more amens because that is Bible truth tonight. That's straight up Bible truth. Here's another one. I'm I'm going to gun barrel straight with us. Laziness. I'm afraid for some that the main reason they aren't seeing provision is due to the sin of slothfulness. Whether it be holding a job or working hard on a job or showing up on time for that job or having a good attitude on that job. God's provision is going to be proportionate to your effort. Layman's terms, God won't make up for a bad work ethic. Can I prove it to you? We won't go there, but 2 Kings chapter 3, we've got three kings. that are going to fight against a big old powerful army. And and they were in the middle of a desert on their way to sneak up on this army. And they ran out of water. 2 Kings chapter 3. This is another miracle of Elisha. They knew Elisha had a way with water. So they went and asked him for a miracle. And Elisha said, I need some music first. Can you believe that? He needed some music. So bring, bring 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 me my iPod. I don't know what he started to play. I could give you all kinds of possibilities. Some of y'all get offended by what I listen to, so I won't say it out loud. Um, what was I going to say? Um, he, uh, he, he listened to, uh, uh, this is why I stay behind the pulpit, look at my notes. He, uh, oh, he's playing music. He needed mu- mood music. He needed to get in the mood for a miracle. And, and, and so he got the mood music and, and, and he came up with this revolutionary idea to the people uh, of God, he, he, said, he said, here's what you need to do. You need water for your horses. You need water for your soldiers. Okay. He gave him a work order. He said, you need water? All right, pick up your shovels. Get to work. Put on your bandanas or your turbans, whatever they were. And, and you start digging. And as many di- ditches as you'll dig tonight, God will fill. How would you like to hear that? You knew Elisha, he just like went to the city of Jericho and poured some salt on the water and healed their entire hydration system in the entire city. He didn't need to give a work order. He, he, like, he like parted waters with, a, with some kind of stick or mantle. I forgot how the story goes. It was like his, was his rookie year of miracles, Kelby. He had a rookie year for the books like you did in 2015. It was awesome. And he could have done that. But not in this case. You know what he did? He said, you want a thunderstorm? I'm going to give you a work order. And you start digging ditches. And when you start digging ditches, God will start sending the rain. And when they dug the ditches, God sent the rain. And some of you want the rain without the shovel work. And some of you want all of God's provision. And you want a a, a closet full of clothes. And you want want, want a two-car garage. And you want... A car in each one of those slots and a motorcycle and a boat and a gun and a bow. And maybe you'll let your wife have something if she wants it too. (laughs) You want shoes. You want all the rain. You want all the rain. You want to be able to go on vacations. You want all the rain. You want all the provision. You want your business to be blessed. Well, where's your generosity? Where's your sacrifice? Why is it always up to God? You are not a spectator in this. God's giving to you will be proportionate to what you do for him. Right, you dig a ditch. Listen to me. He'll fill it. Right. And some people, they, they, they literally go without because they just won't pick up a shovel. Uh, well. Won't pick up a shovel. Man, I could go on and on and on. The purpose of this message is twofold. I wanted to be instructive and encouraging. Instructive because I wanted you to understand, especially those that are just now getting into the habit of giving in some ways, and I know that's that's a portion of our church tonight. I want to be instructive and let you know you don't just put in your tithe and then expect a check in the mail. You put in a tithe, you do it faithfully, and then you do what you can. You steward wisely. You make adjustments because when you're living for the kingdom of God, you can't continue living as though You're not living for the kingdom of God. You don't all of a sudden give to the kingdom of God and then go on and make up for that that decrease in income. You've got to make an adjustment. So do what you can. Do what you can. And and see it provision. See how God will use what you have in some way to provide your need. He's a creative God. And He'll do that. I want to be instructive and help you in that. But I also want to be encouraging. Because some of you have been given a really, really long time and you're you're needing to see some rain in your life. You've dug the ditch and you're waiting for it to be filled. I'm telling you, God will always be faithful. Always be faithful. Let's remember, God knows what we need more than we know what we need. Sometimes we get what we need and what we want. We get that a little mixed up. God never gets it mixed up. And so if you are counting a desire as a necessity and you're like, God, why don't you give this to me? It's what I need. God might not be giving it to you right now because it's not a need in his mind. Sometimes God will send us through a season of of poverty in an area of our life because actually we need poverty sometimes. We need to learn how to operate with an empty ditch sometimes because you'll never know how to steward a ditch full of water until you learn how to live with an empty ditch first. Amen. And sometimes God knows you need a small check paycheck before you get a big one. And so you walk through this season in faith with Him, participating in God's provision. He's a good God. Amen. He deserves our generosity. You can, you can count on Him to supply your every need. He is so faithful. Let's take an invitation time right now as a church and just tell Him thank you for that.